we'd like to welcome each and every one of you with me, Roy, from Awakening Podcast, Jane from Empowered Podcast, and of course, our very special, powerful guest, who is not a stranger to us anymore, nor is a stranger to some of you, and hopefully to most of you, whether you are believe on what he's saying or not, because he's been making a lot of noise for people can, and also those who are in the power to make decisions and powerful influencers can really make a big difference. So we have attorney Tom Renz. And th thank you, Tom, for being with us again. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Grace. How are you? Very good. And since you ask how am I and how we are, actually, that would have been my would be my first question also for you, because we, you know, I think all of us and I've seen people who have got who have evolved in the past two, three years from anyway, from a state of consciousness to a bigger and wider state of consciousness that even makes them makes all of us really be persistent, dedicate a lot of our time, because many, many times, if we can only have more than 24 hours a day, that would be perfect. So Tom, what are you, how, how are you and what are you becoming? Or what have you become in the last, you know, years? Because you are, for me, you were the first one, first lawyer who really stepped up and began speaking out. Well, I, I believe I was. I, I'll tell you this. I don't think that you could have been before me because I started speaking out the day that it started. Uh, you know, so there there were probably some others that spoke out right away, but uh, you certainly couldn't do it beforehand. I actually was writing about COVID before uh, before the lockdowns. So I don't think I don't think anybody beat me to the punch on it, but I have, you know, I've stuck with it. And I love the way that you asked that question. You know, how am I doing? What have I become? Well, honestly, what I've become is no different than what I was when I started. Uh, I'm a servant. I'm a husband. I'm a servant of God. I'm a, a, a guy who believes in freedom. And I just, I don't know, I guess there's more people listening to what I'm saying now than when I started. But I haven't changed, uh, not one bit. And I'm, I'm glad to say that. I don't want to change. I have no intentions of changing. I've learned a lot. I've grown as a human being. Uh, some days I'm very tired. It's been well over two years since I've slept. And uh, it's been well over two years since I've really taken any time off or got, had any real breaks. But I'm also, uh, I still have a surprising amount of energy. I mean, it's our freedom. It's our faith. It's our future. It's our families. You know, the fight that I'm fighting you know, some days when you get weary, you look at what you're doing and you look at the impact and you hear about another little girl who got this jab and, you know, ha is having seizures or dying or this or that, you know, or another little kid who, you know, uh, is lost a parent or another loved one who died in a hospital because they wouldn't give them early treatment. And so when that happens, you're reminded why it is that you're fighting. And then, you know, that weariness tends to wear off because you don't have time for it. So I think how I'm doing as well, I'm disappointed that it's taking as long to win this as, as it is because, you know, every day that goes by, we lose more people. I'm as honored to fight this fight today as I was on the first day that I started fighting it. Ultimately, you know, like I said, I, I think I'm, I'm the same guy but I'm a guy who's grown and learned a lot and who's really started to truly understand the depth of depravity involved in this whole situation and, and where it all goes. And I guess that's what I observe with um, by just listening and reading or viewing some of your interviews is that you are one of those who have really gone deeper and maybe wider and to look into all the conspiracy facts and so in in it it's truly important but that i think when you do that when we do that then we really can maybe hone into some basic understanding of that we don't have to get fooled or we don't 
we don't have to be easily like manipulated or hypnotized because many people are out there already and is speaking some kind of of you just chosen words that just resonates to our to our emotions and then before we know it we're really deep dive into a satanic thing and i believe one of that is um you've been following and you can speak about this yuval harari so tell us what you know about him i know he's not someone that i ever want to be in contact with directly or to speak to or be around i know he seems like a rotten monster of a human being I know that he's repeatedly uh, made comments that you know Joseph Goebbels really understood things, and uh, it's a shame that the the Nazis didn't have the technology that we have today. Uh, you know, he's a Nazi sympathizer, which is ironic given his Jewish heritage. Uh, I know he's the you know top one of the top advisors for Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. I know that despite the fact that he is a Nazi sympathizer and apparently pro-slavery, which I'll explain in a second, he's been praised by you know mainstream media, Ivy League colleges. He's been invited to speak with Macron and Markle and world leaders, Gates, Obama. All these people have praised him. Uh, they hold him out as some sort of a genius or a guru. Uh, he's his. It's interesting that his you know, advisory role with the World Economic Forum is in technology, despite his educational background being history. You know, I think that when you listen to what he says, it's it's terrifying. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that when I talk about this, and I'm still saying this a lot because it's still very uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable for me to talk about this guy because it sounds like conspiracy theory, except for I've got the video of him saying these things. It's not a conspiracy theory when he's saying these things, when Klaus Schwab is saying these things, when these people are telling us, you know, we control, we work with all of the billionaires, all of the major corporations of the world, and this is what we want to do. Well, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just what they're telling us they want to do. So, you know, when I listen to Harari talk about the fact that, uh, he wants to hack human beings and hacking human beings is a thing and that free will is an illusion and that, you know, we, we need to give up the idea that we have freedom. Well, if we, if we, what he's saying is, is that he wants us to be slaves, right? Because if, if we're controlled, if we give up free will, then we're slaves. So he's promoting slavery. He's promoting, uh, you know, Nazi idealism. He's promoting things that are so sick and terrifying I mean, that you know, in any sort of a normal world, this guy would be just ostracized from humanity. But instead, we have billionaires and global leaders who are praising this sick monster. The same people, by the way, who you know absolutely had a fit. If we go back to a couple of years back when uh, the cartoonists in France uh, you know, drew the drawings of the prophet Muhammad, and then they were they were they were killed. You know, there was the big attack. And everybody said, Well, you insulted Islam. What did you expect? Well, this guy's out there calling Jesus Christ fake news and God fake news. He's insulting not only Islam and Christianity, but every other major religion. Yet nobody even questions it. Nobody's calling him, you know, accusing him of hate speech. They're inviting him to Ivy League schools over and over again, where he makes jokes about God being fake news. And then the audience politely giggles and laughs. Ha, ha, ha. We're so smart. We know that this is the case. And we're above the rest of you. When the reality is, is that they're manipulated by an evil monster who's far more intelligent than they are. I just, this guy is truly, truly, truly a monster. And if we are to be known by the people who we surround ourselves by, well, you got to ask yourself, what's that say about Schwab and Gates and Macron and Merkel and Obama and all these other buffoons out there? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's important, I think, for our listeners and viewers and for all those that that choice of who we connect is crucial and that can also go um, just start with 
among the community, among your local people, you know, your neighbors, or your just is starting with that because who we connect either we connect with the devil or we connect with uh, with God or whoever you call it. So when when you said that, it's very obvious now that it's not even a uh, this isn't about just your different people's faith. Yeah, like being a Jewish, being a Christian, being Islam. It's it's like they're just manipulating and hitting it in all angles and. Yeah, that, that 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 choice of which the evil wanted to promote is very obvious. And 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 isn't it, Tom? Uh, speak to me about your thoughts when they are modifying, manipulating, changing the DNA. It's for me what I understand. It is because that's a divine blueprint of our celestial of our divinity. So if they change that then we, we're already having a problem believing that we have powers within us and how much more if they change that so i think that's where they're hitting is there well i mean here's what we know right so there there's the evidence side of what i believe and then there's the faith side of what i believe now from a faith perspective i believe that we were created by a creator god and this is me. I don't care if anybody else believes it. This is just my belief. I believe that God created us. I believe that he created us the way we wanted. he wanted us created. And I don't believe that I want some guy who believes in slavery and Nazis to tinker with my DNA. Why would I trust a guy who is telling me that he wants to enslave me or a group of people who are working with a guy who are telling me that they want me enslaved? Why would I trust them to tinker with my DNA? I wouldn't. That's insane. So, you know, that there's that aspect of it. From a an evidentiary perspective, there's this. So we know. I, I, I it just baffles me, and I'm sorry, but I got it. I just every time I hear this, it baffles me. Well, those aren't really gene therapies. Okay, Pfizer and Moderna have openly stated, they've admitted in government filings that the jabs are gene therapies, okay? So they are. They've admitted it. It's in SEC filings. It's in FDA filings. It's all over the place. They are. And if you are unaware of this, then you're uneducated. And if you're denying this, you're either a liar or an idiot. So there's just no two ways around this. These are gene therapies. What does a gene therapy do? Well, a gene therapy modifies your genes. That's just what it does, right? Okay. Now, then there's the question, do these gene therapies permanently modify or alter your DNA? Well, okay. We had the study out of Sweden, which was in vitro, not in vivo, which means it was done in a Petri dish, not in a person, that showed that, yes, they do. They, they change liver cells. Now, what the other side has said is that that doesn't necessarily prove that it changes DNA in the human body. Okay. Listen, I don't have a study that absolutely indisputably proves that DNA has changed in the human body after you get a jab. I don't. What I have is I have an in vitro study. I have the fact that these are gene therapies. I have the fact that reverse transcriptase is a real thing and that it works and that it's been shown to work and it's just an accepted part of science. I have the fact that these people have lied to us about everything. So them saying it doesn't has absolutely no meaning. Case study is, you know, remember these jabs, they just stay in your shoulder where you get the jab, right? Except for we now have the Pfizer documents that showed that they knew it didn't stay in place before they ever released it. So, I mean, everything that they say is a lie. Everything we know indicates that this is going to affect your DNA. So if you want to go ahead and take this chance until the study proves that there's a, it alters your DNA, go ahead. I don't like to, I will say that I have, can't prove it, but I will tell you this. I'd bet the house on the fact that this screws with your DNA. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I really, you know, when that study finally comes out or when that document comes out that'll be released that Pfizer tried to hide, I'm not going to be surprised. I, I just, not at all. You know, what we're doing is we're creating, we're turning human beings into GMOs, genetically modified organisms, which is ironic because when you consider that, 
you know, when Agent Orange and some of these other uh, chemicals that they've sprayed into the environment, they spray them into the environment and then our environmentalists study this and they say, okay, well, you know, sometimes when you spray it, it can affect all the way up and down the food chain and it can affect for several generations because you're modifying, you know, well, what do you think is going to happen when we modify genetics? Why are there no rules for human GMOs? I mean, we, you can't, if you're going to market beef and it's GMO, you can't market as non-GMO non unless it's, it is, right? But we don't even have that rule for humanity. Are you more important than a cow? I mean, you know, I, it's just, we as consumers under the law are protected from buying GMO food by having it labeled non-GMO unless it is non-GMO. But yet, there's no warning label on the jabs saying, hey, once you get this, you're a GMO. What's it going to do to our kids, assuming that we can still have them? What's it going to do in the future? What's it going to what's going to happen here? And, you know, nobody knows any of this. But yet we march forward trying to jab this into every arm possible. And now we're trying to push it into children who are at no risk of death from COVID. And there's no proof of asymptomatic spread. And there's no proof that children are vectors for transmission. It's sick. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. And um, I truly, I respect you. And I really will in keep including you in my prayers because this is a long battle and you're in a good fight. I I'll pass it on to Roy. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Tom. So, I, I've seen you recently, I don't know, was it in a Senate or in the court, but like, I know you've been fighting this from the start. I believe there's a lot of controlled opposition regarding this. But when I look at you, I see the passion. I see the energy. I see that you deeply care about it. And like, you're, you're really fighting the fight. You might let people know what is currently going on with the court case and if you've any wins or just to kind of keep them up to date because not everybody would be familiar with your work. Well, we've had some things that are that I consider to be very important wins. Um, but remember something. One of the things that most people don't understand is they think because they see me in the news and they see me doing this and doing that, that everything I do is public. Well, I, when I'm being a lawyer, some of that I can't make public. If I'm representing a client, so let's take, for example, I think that we've had some, some good success and some things related to some doctors we've worked with. I can't necessarily tell everybody what's happening with that client, right? Or another client or another. I can't, you know, if a client wants to be public about their fight, we can do that. But if a client doesn't, we can't. So we've had success. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy with some of the stuff that we've been able to do. And you know, I'd like to think some of it's made a difference. Then there's a, then there's a, the stuff that is public. Now that stuff, you know, is, is great and actually moving ahead. We have a number of cases all moving ahead that are very public. One, there's one that's actually not been super public to this point, and I can't go into the details, but I expect it will become very public in the coming months. We've got some hearings on. We're, we're at the circuit level appealing things in a couple cases. Uh, we're waiting on decisions in some cases. Uh, some cases, I'm a lot of cases, I'm advising on or consulting on. And uh, those cases, you know, you may not know I'm there, but I am. There's a reason that I kind of seem to be everywhere. It's because I kind of am involved with a lot of stuff, and I can't always make it public, but that's the point. Um, as far as things I can update you on, we've got a couple cases before the Sixth Circuit right now that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. Uh, I expect that both will end up in the Supreme Court regardless. Uh, one is regarding whether or not, you know, shutting down everybody's businesses constituted a taking and a violation of equal protection and some other laws. The other is related to can the government lie to us? Uh, we've got the, case, the big case against the vaccines in Alabama. Uh, that's in the district court. We're, we're waiting on a ruling on some stuff there. And ju just um, on that, are you actually going for the, the company or are you going for the board of directors and the president? Uh, what we're doing is we're ask, asking the court to uh, declare that the, the vaccine should not have been authorized or licensed. And also that 
uh, there's no federal emergency, which would mean that we would go back to actual normal in a lot of ways, and we would uh, the the vaccine companies would have to actually uh, disclose a lot of things that they and you know there'd be so, some of that stuff would get pulled off the market. Uh, some of it would be might still be available, but it would have to be made available in a different way. So there's it's a, it would have a major major impact. That's really a critical case. Now, we're not going after the vaccine companies for money damages yet. I will tell you that that is a very, very difficult case, but one that I am almost certain I will be going after soon. It's just really getting the, the paperwork there because there's certain, there's certain legal hurdles you have to overcome to get there because our country made it illegal to sue a vaccine manufacturer, uh, no matter how many people they kill, unless you can prove willfulness. And even then you've got a heck of a pro uh, procedure to go through to do it. So we're working through that, but it's a very tough case. And you know, I think one thing that's really important for people to know about is they ask, a lot of times people ask me, you know, why are these taking so long? Well, you can find, particularly in light of the fact that they've seen some that have flown through the courts real quickly. So. The answer to that is really kind of inside baseball. Basically, you can file a case requesting a temporary restraining order or an emergency action. And that's colloquially referred to as the rocket docket. Now, you're, a lot of judges don't like it because it throws their whole schedule off and they have to make time to do something that's not scheduled. And that is really not meant to create a long-term solution. The normal process for going through the courts is not fast. And when you want to get to big, complicated questions, like, is the vaccine authorization legal? Trying to rush through it is going to end up causing problems, right? Because you don't have all the data that you need. So we think we know what's happening. We've presented a lot of good faith-based allegations on what's happening. But I need discovery. I need to see what the government knows. And then I can go forward in a very educated and proper way. So there's just no way to go fast on that. I can't, uh, there's nothing I can do. There's just certain procedures and things built into the process. And so those go slow. Where, where we can do a rocket case, you know, we've looked at it and we may or may not use them occasionally, but that's the reason that some of this stuff it moves so slow because we ask very difficult questions and they're very hard cases and there's just no way to do them quickly. And like, will there be an advantage going for the individual? Because so many people hide behind the corporation. I can't wait to go after the individual. Can't wait. Um, you got to get through. So we look at litigation related to this in kind of a, you know, if a, if a general sitting at the base looking at a picture of the battlefield and he's, you know, moving the little figures around saying, this is where my troops are. That's kind of how we look at the litigation on this, right? So you file a case and hopefully you'll get this ruling and you'll get this information. And if you do, then you can file that case and then the other case. And then, you know, maybe once we get so far in this case, we can file that case. And it's actually really, really complicated. There, there's no simple way to explain it, but we will go after the individuals we just have to get this case and this case and this case to that point before we can do it because the government's built in so much immunity. They've done so much to protect these people. These people are murdering people, in my opinion, but they've been given immunity. They've been given a free pass. The government has unethically and illegally essentially endorsed these people murdering people. I've got to get through. I've got to get through a lot of layers of law and protection before I can get to them. I can't wait for the day that I can say, you know what, Anthony Fauci, I think is going to be marching down the street in orange. But we're just not there yet. Um, we're working on it, and I. But be assured, the second I can do it, it's happening. And because I've had loads of court cases myself, and I've had actually a, a criminal case that I've been just. It found not guilty just last Friday after being brought back. But I saw with the prosecutors, thank you very much. I saw with the prosecutors, you know, it was nothing to them. And but I know that in other cases, 
they have the best. So I'm wondering, is the government having the strongest team against you, or is it just kind of like, average, you know, normally? Oh, I mean, they they are definitely, definitely, definitely making sure that they're doing everything they can to cover their their rear with me. I mean, we've got some. Yeah, I went into the court not too long ago, and uh, it was me and one other person. And uh, they had five lawyers in the court and I think 10 or 15 listening on the, uh, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they're definitely, they're definitely throwing everything at it they've got. And if you look at the research they're doing and the way that they're writing and the way that they're doing these things, I mean, they're taking, they take it very, very seriously and uh, they're doing everything they can. I mean, you know, they've, with me, you know, we've attacked them legally. We've attacked them in the courts. We've also attacked them in the court of public opinion and educating people. We've attacked them politically. We've attacked them everywhere. And so no surprise, they've done everything they can to attack me, whether it's in the realm of, you know, the, the public, whether it's uh, anywhere they can. They've tried to discredit me publicly in politics. They've tried to do everything they can to undermine me. Luckily, I don't have much pride and uh, I'm not in it for that. I'm in it to, to win it and don't really care uh as long as god's got my back and my family's with me i just don't care what they do they can say what they want because no matter what they say about me they're murdering people i'm not exactly exactly and do you have like like the strange thing for me is that there's very few that are actually standing up for this is there many that's in your corner in the background that are because I mean, if they've got such you know fifteen people listening as well as having a strong team, do you have people that are kind of that got your back as well just to, to make a well, stronger case? We're we're definitely not in not in the ballpark of the other side, but we do have you know we finally over time we've gotten some heroes that have joined that have came out that are backing that are helping that are supporting, you know the people are supporting me, you know I got a lot of people I got a Substack now. I got people subscribing to that and I hope they do. And, you know, some of them even pay to do it that way. And, you know, anything I make off that goes right to the fight. You know, I've got uh, you know, a lot of people that follow me on Truth Social and Getter. And tw I, I did a Twitter thing just to see whether I'd get banned. I don't have many people there. But, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm doing everything I can. I'm getting a lot of support from people. Um, I've got good people that are fighting with me, you know, not, not anything like the other side. You know, I, I frequently say, you know, we fight with, with a budget of maybe thousands on a good day and they're fighting, we're, you know, they've got billions, you know, so they're, we're certainly outgunned and outmatched, but we got God on our side. So yeah, that's, that's, that's one hell of a support, uh, support team right there. So, Absolutely. you know, we just yeah. keep marching. And like one of the cases because i had the the guest scott of uh, his daughter that was uh and i know you're uh you know you're aware of this case um he's promoting it big time to get the message out that his daughter who was down syndrome 19 years of age that was actually murdered and like perhaps you might because i know he wants to promote this this isn't something that he's holding back he's trying to get the message out to let people know how evil the system is yeah, no, I mean, I know Scott Shire real well, and his daughter Grace was murdered in the hospital. You know, he he and his wife and Grace's sister, their other daughter, were there. Uh, his daughter was physically there, and they were FaceTiming with Grace when she coded. They asked the doctors and the nurses to revive her, to, to do something. They did nothing. They just sat there. They claimed there was a DNR order. And uh, the family had never signed one. They literally, they literally murdered this girl. Uh, and you know, we can say what we want, but don't. I don't believe for a second it wasn't because she was Downs. You know, it, it just they they kill the weakest. They kill the the ones that are easiest to prey on because that's what bullies and monsters do. You know, they they don't want to fight someone who can fight back. They want to they want to prey on the weak, and. You know, God decided it was time for Grace to go home. And when I heard that story the first time, I've got a, uh, I just got a real special spot in my heart for people who are special needs. 
that that story burned me like you can't believe. And uh, those people have got to be held accountable. And that's that's just something that's got to happen. So, you know, Scott's a good man and he's doing what I think, well, what I'd hope most dads would do if they realized their daughter was murdered. He's doing everything he can to raise awareness and to to help people to see what's happening and to try and get justice for his little girl. And I'm, I'm praying that, you know, that that can happen. Yeah. And like, you know, because of his CPA background, he has it so well documented and all the information that he's put on the website, along with the resources, a case like that is one, he's making so many people aware of, of what's going on, because I mean, we're all, you know, loads of people get the different doctors on, on the shows and people are kind of listening to all the PCR tests, this, that, and the other thing. But it's when people are murdered and you've got a father who's crying. I mean, when I actually was doing the research, I was looking through the video, I cried as well. This is such a sad case. But I think from the pain will come victory because people like that, because his fight is so strong, coming together. And he's actually gathering other people as well. And all of these stories not only are creating awareness, but they'll help with you with the documentation fighting the evil cabal. Yeah, well, and, and they're critical. And we, when we get to a point where someone like Grace is, dis, is viewed as disposable or that her life is less than important, we've lost our humanity. Uh, we just have. You know, you're, no man, no man has the right to determine that another person is disposable. Life is a gift that we're given. I mean, if we're not going to fight to preserve that, especially for those that can't preserve it themselves. You know, Grace didn't have the capacity to make a DNR decision. She didn't have the capacity to understand what was happening to her. And, you know, these people took advantage of it. What they did was sick. And But, you know, the thing that's really sad is the number of stories like Scott and Grace's that I have to see on a daily basis that are not in the news. Uh, you know, everybody, when I was testifying before Senator Johnson, you know, you mentioned that testimony. One of the things that I, I mentioned that I think is worth, worth pointing out is, you know, he was talking about what he was hearing from all these different people. And some people will say, well, you're a lawyer. Why, why, why are you weighing in? Why do you know all this? Why are you, you know, well, because there aren't enough other lawyers fighting this. And I was, I was the first lawyer, whether I'm the, I'm not saying I'm the best, you know, God grants me what he grants me in that, but I was the first or one of the first. And so from the beginning of this, I've gotten the phone calls. I've gotten the phone calls about the hospitals murdering loved ones. I've gotten the phone calls about doctors, you know, being attacked and losing their licenses when they have saved thousands of lives. I've gotten the phone calls from the people who have the side effects from the jabs. I've gotten the phone calls from every single, I've lost my job. I've lost this. I've lost that. You know, they're making my child wear a mask and my, my child uh, is now having severe, severe health issues from it. I've taken every one of those phone calls. I've heard every story there is to hear, every single story. I've heard it from so many perspectives. I swear if I never have to see another picture of a dead loved one again, it'll be too soon. I mean, do you, I, I just the worst is when I get a text message of someone saying, you know, this is my adult son or daughter. They're dying in the hospital. Can you please save my baby? And I'm a dad. Right. I mean, that's everything. And I know, you know, that I can't because there's just nothing you can do at some point. And, you know, I do know what's going on. I've seen it from every angle. I've heard it from every angle and I've fought it from every way imaginable. And I'm going to continue fighting it. But uh, it it's it's a painful thing and it's some but it does it does drive you it does drive you a lot and uh, i think that 
you know, it's it's given me perspective on what evil really is because nobody wants to look at evil. Evil is a terrible thing to see. I mean, who wants to look at evil? You know, it's like it's like you know reading what the Nazis did. It, you don't want to read. You don't want to read the nitty details. It's horrible. It's horrible. But I guess my my role, as I see it, with God is to fight bad guys, and uh, I guess that's just what I got to look at because that's what I got to do to fight it. So. And I mean, I've witnessed it myself in Poland, you know, somebody that I knew, you know, they know their, their husband was killed. Same in the UK. We've had a guest on our show that she knows her husband was killed. And in Ireland as well, I know that he wasn't killed, but he was actually going downhill. The family had to go in and drag him out of the hospital and he recovered. You know, so this is an international thing. It's not just in the States. Which Oh, I know. I know. That's why, you know, I've, I, I'm very internationally minded and I've got friends who I've, people have become my friends in countries around the world working on this. And, you know, I, before all this happened, I'd had the privilege of doing some traveling around the world. And the one thing I can tell you is no matter where I went, I have never found a place where people's blood is not red. Well, bleed red. Uh, people are people wherever you go. And uh, I feel it's bad for the people in Europe or Australia or wherever as I do for America. What I know, though, is that if we can turn the tide in America, the rest of the world will follow, at least the rest of the free world. You know, China's going to do what they're going to do. I, there's literally nothing I can do for them. Uh, if I could, I would. And, you know, if I, if I can get things turned in America, you can trust that I will be happy to do whatever I can anywhere else in the world. But I feel like, you know, uh, what the core of the corruption starts from a couple places in Europe and then also the United States. But the United States, you know, the corruption in the United States, they've used power, they've used influence, they've used money to manipulate this and to force this on people. So I got to beat it here. You always look where the head of the snake is, or at least where you can do the most damage. And that's where you want to go first. So that's that's why I'm, I'm happy to help anywhere I can. But it's always about judicious use to my use of my time. No, I totally agree with that strategy. And then what I love is you're sharing so much stuff on your website that basically people can learn from what you're doing as well as obviously seeing different videos, which will inspire them and help them in their fight. Because I know that there's people in different countries as well that are, you know, trying to do it in their country. Tom, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love what you're doing and I'll pass it on to Jane. Thank you. Yeah, huge respect, Tom. And, oh, you know, I listened to some of what you're doing and I can, I, I wanted to ask you, did you feel that everything in your life just led you to this one point so you'd be here to fight this evil? Uh oh, absolutely. God, you know, I'll tell you one of the most, there's two things that are just random. So I got super into health law while I was in law school. Don't know why. There was no good reason for it, but ended up doing a postgraduate fellowship in it where I just spent a bunch of time just studying and working on that. A few years back, before this all started, and for literally no reason whatsoever, you know, I decided to just open a nice, quiet little law firm. I'd been doing some other stuff and decided to just, I was going to open this little law firm. I, uh, so I did. And as I was doing that, I, for no reason that I could point to, I told my wife, I was like, you know what? I think I need to get a master's. She's like, you're already a lawyer. What do you need a master's degree for? I was like, I don't know. I just do. Uh, so, okay. Well, she says, well, what do you want to do it in? I said, well, I think something with kids, you know, teaching something like that. Cause I love kids. I just love them. So I had looking at that, working on that. And then at the last minute, and for no reason that I could point to, to this day, I changed it to a master's in health science. So fast forward to, to January of 2020. You know, before COVID was really a thing, I was actually uh, working on my on a on a master's in health science, and 
I hear about this disease out of uh, you know this place in China, and everybody's making a deal of it. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So I started researching and writing it for my master's program. I did the epidemiology on it. I did the biostatistics on it. I did the you know the, all the you know how do you look at it from a public health perspective? All these different things, and wrote on it. And actually, one of the first things that I did on it was I had written a white paper or what was going to be a white paper, evidence-based practice paper that was going to compare COVID-19 to the yearly flu and then several of the previous pandemics, right? Here's the problem. They were telling us that this was the most dangerous thing ever. It was killing everybody. It was horrible, this, that, and other. So I go to this and I look and I say, okay, well, what's the case fatality rate? How many people is it really killing? The data wasn't there. They didn't have any. They just kept telling us it's dangerous. And so when I look for the data, because we're taking government actions, it has to be based on something. Everywhere I look, it would say, this is dangerous, and then have an asterisk. And then I'd click on the asterisk to see where it went, and it'd take me to another document, and then another document. Well, about 20 documents deep, I finally found out several things. So first of all, we've known since very early on that the case fatality rate was likely going to end up being, you know, well under a half percent. And that uh, it actually ended up being somewhere between 0.1 and 0.3 percent, which is roughly a bad flu season. I mean, from 2020 on, I've got that in a court case in 2020 that I filed. So we've been panicked over the flu for two plus years now, right? In addition to that, I looked at, you know, does it spread the reproduction rate? How fast does it spread? Well, really not that much faster than the flu. And certainly it was neither as dangerous nor did it spread as fast as some other diseases that are out there that we don't care about, right? But yet we're having a big deal over this. So I was researching and writing on this right up till the lockdowns. And then I had to stop. Uh, I had I, I still had to write a thesis and I think one other class before I finished up the master's work, but I'd already done all the other work. And uh, I had to stop because my caseload got too heavy, too quick for me to do anything else. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's like all these random things that are leading me to this fight. And then, you know, when the fight, it got around lockdown time, I prayed. And I said, I said, God, you know, do you want me to fight this? And I said, if you put it in front of me, I'll do my best to fight it your way. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and a broken Christian, uh, which means that I fail. I, you know, I sin. I do all sorts of terrible, awful things and have done all sorts of terrible, awful things. I try not to, but that's the nature of being Christian. We all fall short. What I know is that I've held, my, held to my word on that. Since this fight started, he put it in front of me. I gave him my word that I'd do the best I could to fight it his way, and I've done that. Uh, I can look in the mirror. I can look someone in the eye. I can tell you that I may not have been perfect, but everything I've done, I've done for what I believe to be the right reasons and to save people and to help people and to do good things. I haven't done shady things. And where I've had the option to do it the wrong way, it may give me an opportunity or the right way. I've foregone the opportunity to do it the right way because I think that's the right way to do it. So, yeah, God definitely, definitely, in my mind, you know, had me had me set for this. Yeah, absolutely. It's an it's an incredible story. I feel I feel the same that, you know, I studied diseases and vaccines for years. And so when they declare a very deadly disease again, you you just have a huge question mark and you want to look into it deeper. <laughs> but so many have been programmed just to believe that there's a magic button, you just get the shot and it's safe and effective and everything will be okay, right? Yeah. I don't know. I So as a regulated healthcare professional, I've seen how they've limited what we can do, what we can say, you know, even what we can provide to help. And so I've been completely aware of that. And I feel like it's been an agenda for years 
you know, possibly a hundred years. And uh, even, even how we were regulated, you know, 20 years ago for this exact date so that we wouldn't be able to speak out. I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, no. we're healthcare professionals that for the most part are silent and they, they, so they never get an opposing view. And oh, yeah. it's, be, it's because we can immediately be cracked down on. And, and, and they do. Yeah. yeah. They do. I mean, I'm, I'm representing and have represented a bunch of doctors. You know, you're, you're right, in my opinion. So when we look at this in the law, you know, the, you, you prove things. Let's say you've got a criminal case. You've got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay. So if I wanted to prove that someone murdered someone, the best way to do it would be to either have a witness or a video, right? But you don't always have that. Sometimes you have to make the case and you have to say, well, does it appear that that it's just really beyond reasonable doubt that this occurred? So when we say you said something that was really interesting to me is that it looks like this has been in play for, you know, maybe a hundred years. I can't prove that. Like I can prove that two plus two is four and I don't have a video showing that, but let me lay out some of the circumstantial evidence, right? I mean, we look at public health going back to the 60s, 70s, they were writing about using fear tactics to manipulate people to take certain actions. This is, this is academically, right? So these are schools, these are colleges. They've been studying the use of fear to manipulate human behavior on a, on a large scale. We know they've been working on that. We know they've been work, uh, implementing it. I mean, in, uh, was it 03 or 04, there was a real famous presentation that got leaked from the CDC talking about you know the use of fear as a recipe to promote influenza vaccines. And I've put that out there a few times. So we know that the, you know that that aspect of this is occurring. Is it is that what's going on in COVID or is it real? Well, let's let's look at that more, right? You have a spread rate that's on par with a lot of other diseases, and you have a case fatality rate that's far lower than many diseases that we don't acknowledge. And yet we've thrown the whole world, you know, under the bu- under the bus. To, to stop something that you can't stop. We knew early on that you couldn't stop it. It was a virus. It was in the population. It was going to spread. There's nothing you can do about it. Lockdowns could never work. They were never going to work. There was no chance of them working. They knew they wouldn't work before they started it, yet they did it anyways. So you've got that. You've got the fact that going back to you know many, many years ago, the start of the World Economic Forum and some of these things where they start working on these kind of global governance type things. And those people uh, have been talking about, you know, using emergencies and crises as a mechanism to change, to, to limit freedom, to change government, to do this. They've been talking about it for decades, right? You fast forward and you look at the head, Klaus Schwab. You know, he writes COVID and the Great Reset. His words, not mine, it's his book. You know, we're going to use COVID as a mechanism to, you know, to remake our world. We're going to use this. Now, when you combine that with the fact that the disease is not really as dangerous, and mind you, it has killed people. I know I lost people to it. I lost people to it because we didn't have access to early treatment and because when they went to the hospital, they were murdered. But I've lost people. By the way, Peter McCullough's who is literally the most published author on the planet for in a number of things, uh, has said repeatedly, he thinks that, you know, 95% of the people who died could have been saved with early treatment, but yet we wouldn't do that. So you, you, you start combining all these things, right? You start looking at all these things. You start adding these things up. You know, you start looking at then, then you know, what did we do? Instead of doing using early treatment that would have saved 95% of the people, we put out an experimental gene therapy to turn people into GMOs. I mean, when we start adding all these things up, 
I have a smoking gun, like a video that this is a long-term conspiracy? No. But how many pieces of evidence do you need before it becomes beyond a reasonable doubt? You know, if I started laying this out, and, and you know, we don't have time here for me to go through every piece. We're touching on a few high-level pieces. If, if we had a 20-hour a, a broadcast, I could get through a third of what I have. But how much do you need me to present to you before you start questioning things, before you say, you know, it's really hard to say that this is all an accident, that this isn't a plan, that this isn't something that they're doing. I mean, why do they keep lying? And, and then also you got to ask yourself, why, when I've been lied to for two years, should I, start tr- should I still trust these people? When do you trust a liar? For two years, I've been attacked, denigrated, ripped apart, told I'm a nutcase, and everything else for fighting this fight. Me and a whole bunch of other people. What have I gotten out of it? An ulcer? Gray hair? I mean, my face is falling off, you know, wrinkled from stress? What have I gotten out of it? I'm certainly not getting rich. What have I gotten out of it? I had to give up the single most important thing that I had, my anonymity. I didn't want to be famous. So I haven't gotten anything out of this. Now ask yourself what the other side's gotten, the side that we've caught in lie after lie after lie. Well, they've gotten trillions of dollars, power, prestige, praise, high fives everywhere. I'd be an idiot to do this if I was lying. I'd be the dumbest man on the planet. And I think the same applies for each of you and to probably anybody else who's fighting this fight. If you're fighting this fight because you think it's fun to do, you're an idiot. I don't know how to say that. So not only do you got to ask yourself, when do I trust a liar? You also have to ask yourself, do I want to trust someone who's been proven to be a liar? Or do I want to trust someone who's got, who has got nothing but beat up for telling what they believe is the truth? And that's kind of where it is. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) And, you know, so many have lost their inner barometer. Like, all you have to do is tune into that inner barometer and your heart tells you what to follow, what to what to know and what is suspect. But thank you so much, Tom. I'm going to I'm going to see if Grace has any questions from our audience or anything. Oh, I. Informed consent is the one thing that absolutely, just before I sign out, is absolutely beyond my comprehension because, uh, you know, we're trained to have to give informed consent for vitamin C. I, I just, I don't understand how they're still doing this without allowing people to know what the downside is. Like, it's just mind-blowing. I'm just going to answer it very shortly. It's illegal as can be. We just got to get the court. We actually have that in one of our cases. So, I mean, we're, we're working on it. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is so true, though, even for the simple vitamin C, vitamin D. I just had a conversation with the wife of, of a friend of mine, and he passed away. And when he was telling me that she was telling me the story, she said, Grace, I'm on the phone telling them, give them the vitamin D, vitamin C. He said, they wouldn't listen to me, Grace. They wouldn't. And of course, since he said, I'm the wife, they want me to make a decision, but he's, he's still there. But then they depended on the decision of his her husband, but her husband was already medicated with morphine and everything. So how can he, you know, so, but he does, she he was aware that in the, in the living will to make sure that she, he is not intubated. So for a month he was in the hospital struggling but for one day after intubation, he passed away. So, and there's so many stories. And so, and, and Tom, I just want to say, um, maybe if people are still a chance to watch some movies, because it's 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 little, it's obviously in sometimes it's covertly um, shown to us already what they're about to do, what they've been doing, and back to Nazi sympathizer like Ferrari. Uh, in that movie, I like it so much. It's like uh, the man in the high castle. It may be a fiction, but there's. It's in that movie I realized that there's so many Americans who are Nazi sympathizers, 
And hey, if what's happening in other countries, they're still around. So it's up to us to really pay attention on how they could keep manipulating. And you know, so um, I, I, I am so thankful again for you and all the, and, and the increasing number of lawyers, at least helping people. There's an increasing number. And I still, for me, you're the first my lawyer who have seen it. And as I said, you were not known, you were popular or something. And I know you weren't in for it for popularity but you are right there. So, and anything more you want to say, Tom, and let people know and what, what else you're doing or connecting or yeah, please share us. And yes, I'm so happy you're in Substack. A number of our uh, guests are in Substack and they, they're like Matthew Eret and uh, uh, Tom Luongo, and it's really good. Yeah, well, and please, if you can join my Substack because Everything I write isn't about COVID. Sometimes I go off on tangents and sometimes I write silly things and, you know, whatever. And, you know, honestly, some of the stuff that we, we're now seeing has to go beyond COVID, right? COVID didn't happen without censorship. You know, uh, we, we see that they just had that movie came out, that 2000 Mules thing, which, you know, looks an awful lot like election fraud to me. Couldn't have happened without COVID. But these things all tie together. And when you dig far enough, you find it's the same people who are involved with all of this. You look at what they're doing in their schools to screw with our kids. That It's same people. It's always the same people. And so, you know, I write about a lot of things, but I, the Substack's a really important mechanism for me to get information out. So please subscribe if you can. I don't care what, you know, if you pay for it, that goes to the fight. If you don't pay for it, you'll still get the stuff you know, but I, I'm grateful for anybody who will sign up either way. You know, rems-law.com, we keep putting stuff up there. That's not going to change. We had a we had a bit of a issue with the website. We had to get some things straightened out. So we were a little slow getting some things up here for a few weeks, but we're, we're all back up and running and moving right now. So that's good. We've got a bunch of stuff coming up. <laughs> I don't know uh, how this happened, but someone decided I should write a book. So I'm working on that where I hope, you know, I'm hoping that that'll be something that resonates with people. We got some stuff coming. We did some stuff with Mickey Willis, who did the pandemic movies, and uh, hopefully that'll be good. And, you know, what we're doing right now is really trying to just make sure that we fight this fight in every way possible. So to my mind, if I'm sitting around and I'm waiting for the next thing in the court case to happen, and I've got five minutes, then I'm going to do something else to fight this fight, whether it's you know, doing something on social media or, you know, educating people or sharing what I found out or sharing this or sharing that or, you know, yelling at politicians or doing something. I don't sit because I just can't sit. Every minute I sit, another person's dying and, and I should do something about that. So, you know, anything that you can do to follow us, support us, we do have a give, send, go. That's, you know, but before you do anything else, before you subscribe to the Substack, before you look at the website, before you give to the give, send, go, before you do anything else, please pray for us and continue to pray for us. Uh, when this started, you know, within the first six months, I had probably everyone that would talk to me at that time tell me that, you can't keep up this pace. You don't sleep. You just work. It's nonstop. There's no way you can keep it up. And so a lot of people prayed for me to have endurance and fortitude. And God's granted it. I'm still fighting. And I'm nowhere near done. And uh, I promised God I'd fight it until I won or couldn't fight anymore. And I'm not really at either of those points. So I'm going to keep fighting. But the prayers are what make the difference. You know, anything else, the money follows, the publicity, all the things that we need, the educating people, it all follows when we do what God wants us to. So start with a prayer if you've got the willingness, the time, and the belief. And then from there, help us get the message out. Share, share, social media, Substack, website, share, 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 share. And as it says from our from our lips to your ears 
And so I'd like to say again, in co-creative, eternal embrace and absolute humility, absolute love and absolute forgiving and only in absolute service to the eternal source and its ever loving healing devotion to all life everywhere. We end now and complete this empowering conversation. Bless all of you and do share. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And we'll keep on moving as you keep moving. My prayers for all of you and your work. Thanks, Tom.